Hello and welcome to Rewind Reviews, a podcast where we talk about movies that are nostalgic to us. Um, well, you'd, some would say we are nostalgia critics of a sort. Not that one. Yeah, I was going to say, not the, not the reference I make. And when, we, and when we get to Pink Floyd's The Wall, Chris, as we inevitably will, you know. I'm not going to do a musical review that's a complete embarrassment to the entire of the internet that completely misses the point of Pink Floyd's The Wall and exposes me as a complete fucking moron. Have we? Uh, are we going to do Pink Floyd The Wall? I've never seen it. I think yeah, at some point. I I, I I really enjoyed it when I was younger. It was, it was, it was a powerful piece. Well, well actually, that would really. That, ooh, let me rephrase that. Sorry, young Dan, pretentious young Dan, thought it was a very powerful piece. <laughs> I mean, that would really shock the system, wouldn't it, if we followed up The Matrix with, uh, <laughs> instead of The Matrix Reloaded, just went straight to The Wall by Pink Floyd. Yeah, I mean, it's on my list, but to be fair, it's it, it's a long list. You know, we'll get to Small Soldiers before we get to Pink Floyd's The Wall, probably. Uh, fair enough. <laughs> it says a lot fair. about our priorities here. <laughs> Um, but yes, anyway, um, if you don't know what we're referring to by any of that stuff, um, look it up. It's really fascinating. Uh, Folding Ideas did a really great video dis- dis- dissecting the Nostalgia Critics review of The Wall and why it's really, really embarrassing. Well, there you go. <laughs> it's very good. Anywho, welcome. This week we are taking a look at um, the original Matrix. I have no idea which of us picked it. Chris, I think. Did you pick this one? I picked it, yeah. It I was but it was Destiny. We pre-decided in a lot of ways. We'd sort of said we'll do an, we'll do a trilogy every series. And with the new Matrix film coming out, Matrix for the probably the worst Matrix. No, actually no, it can't be much worse than the final the third one, can it? Let's <laughs> oh. you know, let's not Let's not let's, jinx anything in that let, regards. Let's not tempt. <laughs> let's not tempt fate. Uh, but with that coming out, we thought we'd have a look at the old Matrix films, and here we are. Um, obviously, starting with the first one. Um, yeah, I, it, it's an interesting one for me to talk about because obviously, like you know, we we usually start this with like our history with the movie. Um, I don't ever remember existing prior to loving the Matrix, which makes no sense because the Matrix came out in nineteen ninety nine, and like like many many movies prior to that. Um, so I can't really logist- you know, logically explain why I don't remember a pre-Matrix world because mathematically that doesn't exist um, I know how I first saw it which was on DVD but it was one of the very first DVDs that ever came into the, the my, my nan's video shop um, and therefore I wanted it to, to, to see what DVD looked and sounded like um, other than that I don't really remember other than just that it was fucking amazing. <laughs> Blew my mind. And also, once again, uh, Nan not giving a shit about it, ratings because I was way too young. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, I think, this, I think this was originally a 15. I must have been about 10, 9, um, you know. Yeah. So, but yeah. Um, so, I don't know. Do you have more distinct memories other than just at some point you saw it and loved it? Uh, yes, uh, I I remember. I don't know if it was the first time I saw it, but I think it was. I remember sitting down and watching it with my dad. I oh, remember it was, yeah, it was like a, it, everyone was talking about it. So it must have been on like DVD video. I think maybe borrowed from a friend. I don't know. Mm. Um, I really don't know. But I remember, you know, it was like, a, oh, everyone's talking about this. Let's sit down and watch it and watch it. And yeah, and we we watched it together, and uh, yeah, loved it. Like loved it instantly. I have I have a funny story kind of about the uh, the, the second one, um, but obviously we'll get there. 
um, yep. when we get there. Um, after we've done Pink Floyd The Wall, at least. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so I remember watching it with my dad and like you, remember pretty instantly falling in love with it. You and I both had that insane box set, which had all of them and the animatrix and what's, loads of behind the scenes stuff. What's this had stuff. nonsense, and, Chris? Well, got. We still got. Yeah. I cracked mine out. <laughs> and I remember it was like, I'm pretty sure it was like a hundred quid. It was like insane. And I don't know about you, Dan, but I rewatched the films and then didn't really, and the animatrix and then didn't really watch any of the other discs. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot on there. There's like the cutscenes from the Enter the Matrix video game. The problem with that for me is that I've I played that game. So I imagine for you that was a great excuse to watch the scenes from the game without having actually yes, played the game. Yes, and I think game. I did. I think I did do that as well actually, yeah. Yeah, because they have a whole subplot that runs parallel to the second movie that was in the game and like it was it followed Niobe. Um I can't remember what the plot was, but it, they just they'd filmed while making the movies a bunch of scenes to put in the game um and then they strapped them all together but it's weird because obviously in a video game you know a lot of talking happens then in place of an action scene is v- gameplay you know <laughs> you become the character and do a lot of fighting so when you watch those scenes it's like a movie with all the action sequences cut out <laughs> it's really really jarring um but yeah, I've got that DVD box set. I think it's fucking. It's cool I... that they put it all together like that. I thought. And yeah, and it was a great box set. And can I just say, Dan? I mean, you know, people would have thought we were crazy spending that much money at the time on yep. that DVD. <laughs> just been on eBay, ninety nine p to four ninety nine. We could be getting for that bad boy now. So Woo-hoo. who's crazy now? Or nine pound ninety nine or best offer. So <laughs> 99 or best offer. Yep. Saddest so yeah. Um, I don't know what's happening, yeah. but so, like in, in a room where there is literally, I've been in, I've lived in my new place now for three weeks. No, two and a half weeks, and literally, Chris, this room is the silentest room in the house normally. So I've I've set up the mic in here today because this is where Nadia would normally be working at the daytime. So we've already recorded one podcast since I've moved, but we recorded that in the living room. I come into what is essentially our office to record, hmm. and someone's like moving some shit outside, scraping along. It's making a right racket. So, <laughs> well, yeah, good good time to say. Uh, oh it, yeah, it, unless it, unless it's bad and Dan's put a warning on. on the uh, su- my toilet, yeah, on the subject of uh, unwanted noise on the podcast. <laughs> my toilet's continuously flushing. Um, basically, the overflow is broken, so it's just continuously going. Uh, so it's the system, uh, and therefore, like the walls and stuff, are making quite a bit of noise. So if you can hear that. Apologies. Um, but you see, he's let's... lying. He's just, he's just, he drank so much liquid today that it's, he's just constantly pissing and flushing while doing the podcast. That's the real truth. Yeah, I literally <laughs> sat on the toilet with my mic just <laughs> pissing away. That whole system <laughs> thing's a, a really poor excuse, Chris. <laughs> um, for I think for the much more realistic lot... and likely explanation that you're just going <laughs> to piss for two hours. <laughs> It's really, it's really loud. If it, yeah, but we discussed like loud weather hasn't been heard before, so I'm yeah. hoping it's not there. But if it is there as background noise, I apologise yeah. profusely. Yeah. Um, the I think there's a lot to be said actually for how the Matrix was way ahead of itself in terms of mm-hmm. the animatrix um, and games, etc. But that's probably more applicable to you know the sequel chat. So we'll go straight to uh, headline headline thoughts, Dan. 
mm-hmm. you know, if people want to, um, I mean, we don't need to do. We can recommend at the end, can't we? People have seen the Matrix, obviously. Yeah, I mean, I would, no, we're, we're doing our, we're doing our. I, I mean, I'm saying still recommend. I mean, I'm, I, yeah, I'm not gonna, absolutely. I'm it's the lead. Look, uh, for it's, me, it still functions. So. Yeah, and it, look, it may be slight nostalgia blindness. Maybe there are definitely there are definitely, and we'll get to them. There are definitely things where you're like that contradicts that slightly. It's got that classic trope of like, when did you two have time to fall in love? But like, I don't think any of it matters. It's such a spectacle. It's so much fun. Like, it's so cartoonish in a good way in a like a really good way and not cartoonish visually i just mean like it's a it's you know well, it's i don't a know trinity, movie, the, the trinity jumping through that window is cartoonish in all the ways in the, in well the yeah that's fair that's fair um but There's it's two shots a, like that in just... the whole movie and they pull me right out of it every time even back then <laughs> it's we'll just it's just so much fun though isn't it yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah absolutely I, I, recommend I, I think i think for me it's like the reason this works, and I have a slightly bitter taste in my mouth about the sequels, which I haven't rewatched yet, so I may change my mind. But my my having having not seen any of the Matrix films in at least sort of five ten years, you know, sitting back down to rewatch them, I rewatch the first one. Obviously, my my feelings on the sequels are still what they were, you know, which is not liking them. But I think what's interesting rewatching this is, I think this one, the 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 Wachowskis got a lot of time to work on this script a lot they were because it was rejected by every studio for six seven years or something before it you know they got it made they made another movie between writing this initially and finally making this you know mm. um, so this went through a lot of drafts and I think the reason the first Matrix other than the obvious of you know if you wrap up your story in the first one good good luck trying to find some threads to cling to for your sequels but even taking that out of the equation um this movie is smart enough to layer in some of the philosophy stuff and some of their sort of wider thoughts about like i don't know but whatever it's about god knows existentialism buddhism i don't know there's so much stuff that they've piled into the sequels but all those ideas are only thinly in this one so it doesn't distract from what is otherwise a really great, pulpy, science fiction movie. It's present, if you want to look deeper, but it doesn't bog the movie down. Because they were trying to sell this movie for so long, they rewrote it so many times. They trimmed it, they tightened it, they skimmed some of that stuff off the top. I'm sure the original draft was a bloated mess of religi- uh, re- religious and philosophical ideas. I mean, they made the cast read a book or several books, before even reading the script. They wouldn't let the cast read the script until they'd read books on philosophy they recommended. So I've got to imagine the original draft of the script resembled the architect's speech from the second movie. (laughs) But because they were trying to sell it to studios who repeatedly rejected it, said they didn't understand it, it forced them to tighten it up and clean it up. And it's just the right level because it allows it still to be a pulpy actiony science fiction movie where they all wear leather coats and do flips and slow motion jumps and all that great stuff with a pretty solid core science fiction premise 
um, the people who are dragging stuff around outside and now shouting at each other. I can't believe, honestly, it's been so quiet in this room, Chris. I genuinely can't believe that this has started the minute I'm recording it. Um, I don't know if it's been picked up. Um, you know, it still gets to be all this fun, um, pulpy stuff. And it, the philosophy is there. It's definitely there. It's there in in many subtle ways, but that is the key word, subtle. It doesn't otherwise bog the movie down. And I think that's what's really great about it. Because at the end of the day, I'm not being funny, but end of the world, humanity, enslaved, machines taking over, everyone trapped in a machine, in a, you know, in a virtual reality. The, many of the characters would not spend as anywhere near as much time as they do in the sequels philosophizing. That's the world is at stake. Go fucking punch something. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, let's not sit around and you know throw philosophy back and forth. Um, so yeah, I think this one. I I think this is an absolute blast of a film. Like, it's so much fun and it's such a good concept. I know now it seems kind of quaint and trite almost, but that's because everyone else has done stuff like it since this when it came out was absolutely revolutionary and. Science fiction movies weren't this complex back then. They just weren't. But this movie not... was complicated. Now it seems no. quaint. But back then, it was like, smart and like, holy shit, what a clever idea, you know. But, um, but not, only, not only have other science fiction films done similar ideas and visuals... This film suffers from the fact that it's it's specifically spoofed in so many things. Like I've I've heard stories of people watching this and and like not being impressed by bullet time. Yep. Because they're just like, well, I've seen it everywhere, and it's like, yeah, but no, no, no. Everywhere you've seen it is spoofing this, and right. and like if you take out the fact that you've seen it a million times, like rewatching it when that happened, I was like, that still looks fucking great. It does. It does because the Wachowskis are incredible filmmakers. There was a real strong sense of visual, um, like storytelling and visual, like you know, they, they, you know, every frame of painting sort of thing. Like it's it's incredible. I will say I got a stat here that by the middle of twenty, uh, sorry, two thousand and two, the bullet time sequence from this movie, which came out I believe in ninety nine, um, had been spoofed in over twenty different movies. Oh wow! That's two years later. Wow, that's crazy. So, oh man, I wish these guys would shut up. I can't. <laughs> so, like, I, I hope no one can hear them. It's just two idiots just yelling at each other about something. I don't even know what. I think it's builders from upstairs. They finish their work for there. They're just like lugging materials out or something. But they're just being so unnecessarily. <laughs> Who knows what the audio on this is going to be like? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, um, I completely agree because it is, and I didn't realize how much. Like when when he had the scene at the Oracle, I was like, oh yeah, like I remember it now. But when they first said the name, the Oracle, I was like, is that in this movie? And then I was like, oh, of course it is, because she got recast. Because I think the actress unfortunately mm-hmm. passed away. Um, but it is really layered, and like you say, it just. It's so easy to forget how much of this was revolutionary at the time. Yeah, it, it really is easy. I mean, I, I, this movie blew my mind. And also, I will say as well, full respect, because even though I do think this is probably a much more dumbed down, stripped back version of the film than they originally wrote, and I think for the better, I do think the, the Wachowskis are too creative for their own good sometimes. Um, and I think their movies get bogged down in a lot of really cool ideas and they cram them all in and then it's just ends up being hodgepodgey. You know, it, it, it's definitely 
affected many of the movies they've produced and, and, and been involved in since. Um, not that there isn't good stuff in any of those movies, by the way. I, did, I want to make that clear. Um, th- this movie, though, like... The uh, I got so distracted with my point about their other movies that I forgot where I was even where that sentence even began. That was about <laughs> that was amazing. I like, literally taught myself in a circle, Chris. What were we doing? We were talking about the something, the hodgepodge <laughs> ideas and the the complexity and following it. Oh yeah, so you know this is all completely stripped back. But with that said, they still didn't exactly make a lot of concessions for the first forty minutes of the movie. Like for a no. script that's that stripped back, I think. They really did trust the audience would just stay with it. Because I I can't imagine an executive in the 90s going, wait a minute. So no one, the, the, the big point of the movie is this thing, The Matrix. You're not going to find out what it is or even what the premise of your science fiction world is until the 40 minute mark. Like, and even for real. it comes in dribs and drabs. Like, my memory of it was that basically the red pill, blue pill scene basically explained it all in one sort of exposition dump. And mm-hmm. that's not it at all. Like, there's multiple scenes of, like, clarifying and explaining and, and, and digging. Um, and it's... and it's. But, so I mean, after that question, point, though, to be fair. So the first 40 minutes are just a collection oh, of yeah, yeah. Yeah, completely. completely disparate scenes that, like, you, if you didn't know the premise, which who doesn't now, you know, you'd have got an advantage if you watch it in the modern day. But back then, 40 minutes of just, like, <laughs> sounds and noises, basically. And so my question is this, right? Because it really is the description of what the Matrix is and yep. those scenes, you know, red pill, blue pill, um, the scenes where they're in the white room, the scenes where they're walking through with the woman in red, all of those, that stuff is so beautifully scripted. Like they mm-hmm. literally just give you exactly the right amount of information in mm-hmm. a clear, concise way. It's like so much unbelievable care has been taken over that dialogue. So here's my question. Mm. Is, do you think some of the hammier dialogue, i.e. it's our way or the highway and like dodge this, all that sort of like 80s action movie pomp and ceremony dialogue, do you think that's a conscious choice? Because I went into this film remembering that that stuff was there and thinking that's where it's aged. And I watched it and went, I'm not sure that is the case, actually. And like everything else being so polished backs up the notion that actually they were making a, a you know, an, an 80s action film for a modern world. It's just in some ways, like, mm. and a more complex, layered version of that. And it's textured with dialogue that you would expect to see in a Stallone film or a Schwarzenegger film from back in the day. So do you think it's option A? Actually, it's just it's just kind of hokey dialogue that's aged badly. Or do you think option B, it's deliberate? Yeah, that's such a good question. And I, and I think the, the problem is, that, you know, there is no answer. Neither of us will ever know. But um, if I was putting money on it, was it intent and design? Or was it just, you know, <laughs> hokey dialogue? Because, you know... At the end of the day, they knew it had to be a sort of cheesy action movie as well, and were just like you know willing to just like. I, I don't think I don't think dodge this is too bad, but I yeah, the, our way our way or the highway is pretty. 
you know. Yeah, Dodge. <laughs> this is pretty funny. It's our way or the highway. And there was a, there was another one, but which There's I can't a bunch. remember. There's now. a handful. It's weird. Yeah. I tell you what it is. Okay, so um, I don't know about intent. I, if I was guessing, I would say maybe it is intentional. Um, but it does lean into that same problem that the Wachowskis often have, which is too many, too many disparate things that actually hurt each other. You know, their movies are sometimes these sort of hodgepodgey messes of things, which is a shame, and it can really hurt. You know, because tonally they're everywhere, plot-wise they're crammed full of ideas, and none of them get to breathe. You know, uh, so uh, in a weird way, you know, this movie full of some really actually very clever dialogue that's both plot-driven and subtle philosophy lessons mixed in. You know, um, th- this movie again is the only one of the three that really balances that to my memory. Um, you, I think you, I think maybe was intent because. I could see them thinking those two things would mesh. <laughs> yeah. Because that's what they've done in other movies, you know, tried to mix and match tones. Um and sometimes successful, sometimes not so successful. And I and I think it's it's at odds with each other. You know, when Morpheus says simple things like, you know, you think that's air you're breathing now, you know, which is such a great line, both just to help Neo open his mind, but also like it's just questioning your whole reality sort of thing. Like, you know, there's a lot of like hidden philosophy, but he's actually he's being very practical also. That's a brilliant line. And it is next to, you know, our way of a highway or whatever. You know. So yeah, I, it's gotta be intent, uh, if I was guessing. But um And and what, those that dialogue <laughs> that it didn't uh, just to clarify, it didn't fuck it didn't bother me at all. Like I was so sort of wrapped up in the in the ride of it and the admiration for how how confident it was like do you know what i mean for such a complex idea mm. how they just went out with a real swing of like confidence um that, that perhaps later work <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> yeah maybe the confidence of this working but anyway it's for another time maybe one day we'll we'll do jupiter ascending um but i just think is it ascending? i always get yeah it's ascending yeah um I was so taken by the ride of it that that dialogue did not bother me at all. No, not as no, much as I thought me. it would. The things, the things that bothered me, if we're if we're nitpicking, were like they do this whole big thing about having the confidence to jump, and like there are moments later on where it's like, like for example, and I know Morpheus is on his way to jump into, and then his his leg gets shot and stuff. But there are just during that whole sequence. There, there are many sequences later where you think we'll do the big jumping thing, <laughs> like that you were talking about earlier. Like, and maybe that jumping sequence exists because then it makes you know the fact that he's flying at the end even cooler. But I feel like we didn't get the payoff to the jump stuff. Um, and like I say. Trinity, well, tr- the, my actually before Trinity and Neo, one of my other favourite things is. I was getting quite, I was getting quite, um, you know, sometimes you're watching the film and, and you're kind of trying to make mental notes for the podcast recording and stuff like that. And at the, when Neo and uh, Neo and Agent Smith are fighting in the train station at the end, mm-hmm. I'm in my head, I'm going, this is why this movie's lasted. Because like, like Captain America Civil War, we've had the big action piece. 
we've had the big set piece, you know, with the helicopter and all of that stuff. And now what it boils down to is just two enemies fighting together, letting out all their threat. Actually, no, these two have barely spent any time together on screen, have they? They're not really, they're not really arch nemesis. <laughs> like, I have that, like, it's really <laughs> effective. But but often with this film, so the more you think about things, the more it's like, oh, actually, that doesn't make a lot of, like, yeah. I, I can mean, see. The, the movie is a sort of roller coaster, and the problem sometimes if you with a roller coaster is everything goes by so fast you don't really get to actually like develop a lot of stuff and while the movie definitely gets to develop all of its philosophical ideas and all of its uh, science fiction premises um, it it definitely lets itself down on the character front basically every character and relationship is this is what our relationship is how do you know that we've told you and that is all you're getting um yeah, because there's so much else going on it's it, i kind of understand how they got there you know when you're writing a script like this like <laughs> the amount of like explanations you have to do the setups you have to do for just how the world works how the agents work how their powers work why they can manipulate it how they can get in and out of it how it works on the surface there's just so much to explain about this world it, it, you, the movie would have to be an hour longer to really give you more detailed character stuff and it would probably bog it down pacing wise so I sort of see how they got there it is a criticism I think it's a valid criticism but the movie doesn't get to do that stuff um, because you know I've said this a thousand times character is king if you don't if I'm not invested in the character relationships or the characters particularly themselves well I guess that's the difference but if I'm not invested in the characters how can I care about what happens to them the way they get away with it in this mm. movie is they do invest you in the people, just not their interactions with each other. Does that make sense? So, like, yes, and I, I, think, I, I, I think I know exactly who all these characters are and what all this means to them. I just don't have the inter-character stuff. I'm not invested except, in their relationships with each other. I'm invested in them as individuals. Except Morpheus and Neo. I think they they get enough screen time right. and enough sort of. You know, Neo's reaction. That's the true love story that should have really come out of this, if I'm being honest with you. (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't you buy that Um, more? Well, yeah, in a way, because it's kind of like why the the, there is something, and and don't get me wrong, actually, to be fair, even that one they could push further. Like the the pressure Neo has of like like it's explored. They explore a fair bit. Does Neo believe he's the one? But actually, maybe the more interesting thing to dig into is how much fucking pressure is that? Like, they hint at it, like a Memento guy, Cypher, says, you know, oh, you've got to save the world. What do you say to that? So they sort of play on it a little bit. But actually, I think rather than whether or not Leo believes, although that's the whole conceit, I appreciate that, the more interesting character thing is, holy shit, mm-hmm. dude, it's a fair bit of pressure to put on someone, isn't it? Um, which they don't, yeah, I don't think they sell. Um, Neo and Trinity, they don't even, like, they're so busy, like, try. they're so busy trying to look cool, like, in the shooting scenes and stuff, and don't get me wrong, looks cool as fuck even now. Um, but we don't get any, we don't even get, like, fucking lingering looks between the two of them particularly, do you know what I mean? And then they do this, it's not egregious as, say, spectre where it's really egregious but like yeah when it's the whole i do i do love you stuff it's like okay have you had time for that but again in a world where they put so much faith in the oracle 
Maybe that's why she feels that way. And I, I tell you what, it's not explored. But to clarify, I literally only have a problem with I just don't think they've had time to fall in love. I I don't have a problem with the notion that that brings Neo back to life. Because whilst they don't explore it, I think there's an in-universe explanation for it. Which is, he's got such an understanding that the Matrix is a machine, that actually the reason you die in the real world is because your brain your brain believes it. So if you get shot, your brain and body reacts as if you get shot. But he's got such an understanding that the Matrix is zeros and ones Mm -hmm. that even though he's been shot, his body doesn't react as such because he can still hear her voice and he can detach what's happened in the Matrix to his real body and that's why he has the ability to heal himself after being shot. So it's not that element of the I love you, I mind. I mean, that's I just, I mean, that is, is healing himself not as well just editing the code? Like, yeah, exactly. if he can exactly. edit the code and shape the matrix around him, oh, I've edited the code so my body's not got bullet holes in it anymore. Yeah, exactly. And I think, <laughs> I think they actually do enough to sell that. So yeah, to clarify, do. the I love you, it's not that that makes him come back to life. I actually quite like that and think they do that quite well. It's literally just like, do you? <laughs> so, an interesting thing about the movie that I noticed on this rewatch, and then my dive into the trivia helped me verify. I wondered, okay, let's play a quick, a quick, just a quick game. No right, no wrong answers, no right answers, because I think your instinct is probably what it should be, but the reality is a bit different, a bit weird. But how long? How many? How long do you think? It, how much time passes between? the opening of this movie and the end of this movie. To uh, your knowledge. Well, let's, actually, let's, let's not use the opening because the Trinity scene from the opening could literally be from years before, for all we know. Let's let, let's go from them introducing themselves to Neo to the end of the movie. It's got to be a couple of days, isn't it? Like, there's basically the training day. Well, the, let's say two to three days. The day where he gets taken out and then falls asleep. The training day. Mm-hmm. And then that final battle stuff yeah so then they go back in to see the oracle yeah and then that all kicks off from there yeah yeah um so it's actually 19 months what mm-hmm. what so i did wonder this when i was watching the movie because they talk about rebuilding neo's muscles and they show lots of different shots of him going into different training programs and while they do say he's been in it all day they don't say it's the only day he's been at it. And then he starts to like act as if he's been there for a little while. Uh. I wonder how long he actually spent on the Nebuchadnezzar before Morpheus said he's ready to go in and see the Oracle. Uh, and the reason we know which... that it's actually 19 months is the, uh, the, the date stamp on the phone trace program in the opening sequence uh, has the uh, 19th of February, 98. And the closing sequence, it reads uh, the 18th of September, 99, which makes 19 months between the two events. Now, which I... helps with the love story. It does help with the love story, but because it's... Well, if it was clear in the fucking film. <laughs> right. This is my criticism. So, uh, and I don't have a huge number of criticisms of this movie, but I think they didn't make it clear that huge amounts of time were passing for me. Um, it no, all feels like it all not flows into each other and while that makes for an entertaining movie keeps the pacing going, moves at a clip it does 
it leads to issues like how do these characters love each other? That's you know, it doesn't make sense. They've spoken three times as far as far as I'm aware. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the idea that they were on that ship together for weeks, if not months, you start to build up a better picture. Um, but the yeah, movie does definitely. not make that clear for the pacing. So it, I it, I think this explanation is a, is is fan explaining, even though it is there in the text of the movie. If you look at the time frame at the start and the end of the movie on, in the in the actual digital in, you know the text, I don't think the movie does anything else to to promote that idea, and therefore I think that is a fan is a fan explaining thing. Um, it does cover it, but the movie doesn't, in my opinion. You've got to be eagle-eyed to notice the difference between those two dates. You can't and, expect and a, you can't expect a casual viewer to like whip out a notepad and be like, "Right, so a date just appeared. It was a nineteenth of February, ninety-eight. I'll see if another date appears later in the movie, and I can identify how long it takes place over." <laughs> like, and I think it could they could have easily done it. Like, yeah. just divide up the the training montages with you know shots of them eating and there's a fucking christmas tree in the background shots of them you know doing playing games and the christmas tree is gone whatever i know that sounds cheesy but in a movie with it's our way or the highway i think that would be fine i think you'd get away with it like if you Mm. if you literally broke up the training stuff you know the shots of Taekwondo, Kung Fu, drunken boxing. I think was one of them. Yes, which it was. I was like, I don't know if that's like an actual thing or if that's yeah, a it's a, it's a re- it's a uh, reference to. Well, I mean, it's it, there's a genuine style of martial art called like dr- like drunken. I think it's like, maybe it's called. I want to say it's like called drunken monkey or something like that. I don't know. There's a, there's a genuine like a drunken master is like an old thing, and it's like a guy who right. moves around in a way that feels like he's like wobbling all over the place, but he's actually very targeted movements in fact there was a reference to it in uh the uh the marvel series for iron fist he felt for a drunken master in that and the guy was like right, okay. off the place but then like hitting him really hard it's a real thing there was also a jackie chan movie i believe that dealt with it um i also noticed that and was like that's fun um i don't know a lot about it but yeah <laughs> it's a real thing but I, I i just think do that and just show us times past that way, then. If well, that's I think the, the, the other way would be to show Neo more comfortable on the ship, because the other thing they do, which I think hurts the ability for me to believe time has passed, is he's still constantly looking confused and asking questions and like he doesn't belong. Like, there's the scene where they're all at the dinner table and he pours the food and, he, and they're like, oh, it's, you know, such a thing, you know, it's gruel. Why not have him being like, oh, more gruel? We've had so much of this. I'm sick of it already. And they're like, Phew, driving it for several years like we have. Yeah, that would have immediately implicated, like, indicated a, like a huge amount of time passing, right? Like he was already sick of the food. But instead, they've got him acting as if he's never eaten that stuff before, which if he's been there for a long time is fucking nonsense. So, yeah. you know, it, there are simple ways to fix that, in my opinion. But it's, it, is a, it is sort of a nitpick. I mean, it's not... I mean, get your driving gloves on, Chris because we're taking a trip to nitpick corner. I do have what I think oh, is yeah. a, another nitpick so nitpicky that like it's nothing. Go on. When Neo's being chased in the second half of the movie, after the helicopter sequence, it's the, it's the chase that leads him down into the subway where he confronts Smith. There's a bit mm. when he's on the phone to Tank, I think, mm. and he goes down a, an alley. And it's a completely dead-end alley except for one very obvious door. Just one blatant door. No other route in or out other than the one he came down. And he goes on the phone. He's like, direction? He's like, and the guy just goes, he goes, he goes you need a little help? And then he goes, door. And he's like, 
fine, and goes through the door. And I'm like, you needed help for that? You, <laughs> wait... You needed to you needed to speak to them on the phone for them to tell you to use the only other exit you have, the door. Like, I'm sorry, but like, what is this? I don't understand. You're in it. Otherwise, it's a dead end. It's a door. Go through it. That's your only other place to go. What were you were you hoping? What were they hoping? Were ringing? Oh, Tank says, yeah. Actually, you could just um. There's a hidden door behind a brick. If you just push it just right. Like, door is the only response he gets after he says, need a little help. And it's because, yeah, there's a fucking door next to you. Did was Tank then hang up that call and turn to Trinity and go, this guy's a fucking moron. Why do you love this guy? He's an idiot. <laughs> he was stood next to a door and then rang me for me to tell him to go through it. Like, can he not do anything by himself? <laughs> That's awesome. Did coaxing you? a child I, honestly it was oh, you know what it reminded me of i was so angry about it it reminded me for those who don't know we did a podcast uh, we do a podcast like nothing but static and when we reviewed the original legends of tomorrow we had our friend uh, a friend of the podcast todd on who uh who was very upset because there was a book that was on the guy's desk that was dusty and he blew it off and it was to make the book look ancient but he was like if the book's off the shelf and it's on your desk did you purposefully leave dust on it to blow it off dramatically before you opened it when you had visitors? Like, why was this book so dusty? And that was my feeling on the door. I was just like, why? Why did this happen this way? <laughs> it really like annoyed the, me. The, in the back of your head, a little voice going, I'm definitely going to talk about this on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I made a note of it. Right. I, 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 yeah, I don't understand. Why didn't he just do the go through the door, Chris? Later on tonight, Chris, to. I'm going to be, give you a ring after this podcast and be like, Chris, I'm in the room where we did the podcast. I need to get out. And you could just be like, door. And I'll go, cool. Thanks for, thanks for reminding me doors exist. And I'll just go through the door. <laughs> Popular section on this podcast, doors exist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <it's> an, yeah. <laughs> I've, trivia section, I've doors got, exist. <laughs> I've got something I spotted that I've never spotted before watching this. And no. I don't know whether it's... Like, because it's clearly... They state very much that it's 1999. But in the scene where Cypher is doing the stake and making the deal, yes, he's like, I want to be someone important, someone really important, like an actor, and I want to be rich and da-da-da-da-da. And the agent goes out of his way to call him Reagan. <laughs> and I was just like, it's the slight implication here. That, that they can make him Ronald Reagan. <laughs> like, make him an actor who goes up to that. people. I and I'm like, obviously, it's not that. But it just seems really pointed. And I was like... And actually, that's a, that's a notion of the, like, the Matrix that's never been explored Oh, it is... No, it's his real name. Right, okay. It just felt like... It, it, and a bit, But it did make me think, like, something like, you know, you'd almost want maybe future properties to explore is... Are there people in high power or whatever that know the truth and have bargained their way there or something? Right. Um, well, it, lo- it looks like the same way that Smith won't call Neo Neo, he calls him Mr. Anderson. Um, it seems Cypher's real name, his real surname is Reagan. Right, okay. We don't so know his we've first done, name, though. We've done our nitpicks, Dan. What did you, what did you love? Um, I'll be honest with you, Chris. I, the thing I love most about this movie, and it actually kind of contradicts one of our, because you can't have this if you doing a lot of like time passing you know on the ship but the one thing i love about this movie is how every scene flows into the next Mm. and every sequence flows into the next one 
It's amazing. Like, so the, the, the guys, uh, Matt Stone and Trey Parker, did this really good talk at like a university or something years ago. It was like a Q&A or something. I can't remember the exact what the circumstances were, but they talked about their writing process. And they said if they wrote a script and when they beated it out, it was this happens, then this happens, and this happens. They just scrapped the whole thing. Because what it should be is this happens, which causes this to happen, which leads to this happening. So it all has to, it's all cause and effect, right? Every event, it triggers the next one. I'm sorry, these guys are still outside my window, yapping away. I just want them to fuck <laughs> off. Dude, you can't do up. it, though. You can't, you can't say anything, can you? Excuse me, I'm doing a podcast about the Matrix. I just don't understand what they're out there for talking so fucking loudly at this time. It's it's, it's a private estate. Oh, what twats. Anyway. Um, I mean, I just... Uh, yeah. Um, anyway, it's really distracting. Even if the listeners can't hear it, all I can hear, guys, I'm sorry, it's just chat. It's really making it difficult to concentrate on what I'm saying. Um, so, yeah, the, the, for me, it's cause and effect. So, the, 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 let's talk about the sequence. It's, just from the middle of the movie to the to the end. Because... It's genius. They go to see the Oracle to find out if Neo's the one. The cipher betrayal happens, so they're caught up in that. Morpheus gets captured, but Neo and Trinity escape. They then have to go... They then, logically, go back in to get Morpheus, because Neo was found out through his visit with... um, uh, with the Oracle, that he's not the one, and Morpheus sacrificed himself falsely from Neo's perspective. And he doesn't think that's right that Morpheus gave himself up for someone who's not the one. So he then, you know, uh, decides that they're going to go back in. They go back in, we have the escape sequence, we get... Everything just leads into the next thing. Just like Every single scene just perfectly sets up the next one and the circumstances. And at every point, I understand exactly what the goal and the stakes are constantly and the movie doesn't have to stop and explain the stakes to me they did the legwork in the earlier parts of the movie i understand they have to get to a phone to get out when cypher kills um tank's brother or maybe he kills tank I do, I, I do get those two mixed up. He kills one of the two brothers. He kills, he kills Tank's brother. Tank Tank survives. Tank survives, right. That's what I thought. So he kills Tank's brother and then wounds Tank. And when he's in there and he's like, killing the rest of the crew one by one, you understand the stakes of that situation. And you understand how unlikely it is they're going to survive that situation. That is immediate tension and stakes. When Neo, Trinity, and Morpheus get to the phone and... Morpheus escapes, then Trinity escapes, and then the phone is destroyed, you immediately understand Neo's situation and how bleak it is. The movie is already set up that you don't fight an agent, you run from an agent. And actually, in an earlier draft of the script, they even had a line about previous versions of the one turning to try and face agents and being murdered. Um, Mm. They took it out, and I think for for the better, it would have muddled this movie quite Mm, significantly. Um, and instead they chose to muddle the second one that way um um, we'll get there we'll get there we'll we'll get there um you know the minute that phone is destroyed you're like oh shit it reminds me do you remember when we were talking about the first back to the future and you know the moment in the first back to the future when you visually just see a cable on click 
and suddenly it's all just all gone horribly wrong because you already understand exactly what it is they're doing and that one simple visual of a cable coming apart you know exactly what the stakes are that phone being destroyed is the same in this mm. and i think just from a screenwriting perspective the way each scene flows into the next one and has its own individual stakes that all contribute to the larger plot cohesively while it's all going forward and keeping the pace up and being full of action and character moments such as the near like that setup at the end where <laughs> and this is another genius and it's a part of the same flow of events trinity's back on the ship neo's still trapped their ship has been found and they can save themselves with an emp but they if they do that while neo is still in there he's done he's dead yeah so he's got yeah, it he's the, he's the also got they've all, they had a timer to him needing to escape too yeah the tension that's, of that that's is beautiful. genius like the entire like when you think that all of that just flows from they go to see the oracle and at no point does the action ever stop but the story keeps developing alongside this sequence of events uh, and it's all cause and effect and it's all pre-established the rules and they, they never stop there's no point in this movie where, in the second half of this movie where Neo goes, oh no, the phone's been cut. I'm going to have to go find another one, audience. <laughs> we we already know the rules. And because they put the legwork in in the first half of the script, they're paying it off here and taking advantage of what they've done. That's just genius. So my ultimate compliment for this movie is just the pacing and flow of the narrative structure of the film is just genius. Every scene well, it, leads it, to the next one and the stakes are just constantly understood. It's brilliant. I can't, ex- I couldn't express how much that impressed me on my rewatch. Like I just kept going, this is genius. There's a so, beat yeah. within that where, where it sort of, it slows down deliberately for a scene. Um, and it makes that scene so powerful when they're right. debating whether to take, whether to basically unplug Morpheus so they yes. don't get the information. And basically they're debating to kill him. And Neo kind of goes, no, I can't tell you why I believe I can save him, but I believe I can. Right. That's a great scene. And you really feel the weight of it. You mm. really like, I'm like, I'm rewatching it going, fucking hell, they're going to unplug him. Thinking, well, of course they're not going to fucking unplug him. <laughs> you know that. No, not. but you, like, but again, the movie does such a good job making you understand why yeah. that's like it. Because, yeah. what? Completely. You know, they've got, they've got Morpheus. He's got information that they can get out of him that could harm humanity's chances of getting out of this situation. At the end of the day, he's one man. <laughs> Having. Yeah. How, how, of course, they had to have a consider, consider the option of just unplugging him. You know, in wartime, people hide cyanide caps in their teeth. <laughs> you know, <laughs> because if they get captured, they can you know end their lives before the information. You know, before the enemy can get information at them. It's a real thing that happened. It's a debate they had to absolutely have. And again, because we already understand the stakes of that, it's all done. All this legwork in the first half of the movie. That seems great as well. As a result, and everything is so mm. set up brilliantly. I, the opening scene of this movie ends with a really arbitrary line where the agents say oh well I guess the information we got from our source was accurate then we can probably trust him which is such a just a like oh, okay that's how they tracked her down they had a source okay fine you don't even think about it the first time you watch the movie on a rewatch you go well then we know who that source is yeah and there's there's also really lovely like it not only does it all flow but sometimes the way it moves from one scene to the other is beautiful like i think that monologue mm-hmm. ends with 
um, we need to go, we need to start searching for him. And then it fades into Neo's search bar that says searching. And it's just like, it's just really effective because I think that it all helps all of this stuff mm. is why we describe it as a roller coaster. Do you know what I mean? I think there's this, uh, you get the same sense from Mad Max Fury Road, which admittedly is kind of, is then, is this, is all this stuff kind of amped up to 10,000, um, you know, when they start on the chase. But I think that's why you call it a roller coaster because of the way it, it flows um, mm-hmm. in that sense. And it's crazy, yeah, that, I think it's crazy that a roller coaster still finds a way to be a really, for the time, complex science fiction premise also because most other complex science fiction things it's a lot of standing around and talking you know recently both dune and um foundation two famous science fiction novels have been adapted for the screen and it's a lot of people in rooms talking about political situations and the wider world and giving exposition that way what's genius about this is it manages to both be a reasonably complex science fiction premise while being a roller coaster, and it never has to stop and become small world after all, where it takes you round really slowly, stopping at lots of things for you to properly look at them. It can do all that while moving at that pace, and that's madness. <laughs> but do you think that's also the the strength? Because one thing we've not talked about is the sheer strength of the idea and the imagination in it. Because sure. there's a fair bit of there's a fair bit of talking in this. You know, there's you know two people sat at a chair debating the pill to take. There's the bit uh, yeah in the, in the, in the, the first like hour and, of the movie for sure. But, but you're so wrapped up in like, oh fuck, that's interesting. Oh fuck, mm-hmm. that's clever. Like that you just you don't even notice because there's even now, you know, when we've seen variations of this idea done fifty times over, you I was still struck by the imagination and the cleverness. I, I tell you what, rewatching it, I've always said it's madness that people there are people out there that can that are convinced it's true. But rewatching it, when it finished, I went, I can see why there are people out there that think this is, that have, you know, adopted this as like their theory of the universe and stuff. Yeah. Um, so this is one of the same way we it's... talked about that Truman phenomenon where the Truman, people who'd seen the Truman Show believed they were in a version of it afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. And again, um, but that's part of on. the genius of the idea and right. the sheer imagination on display, you know, in in bullet time in the ideas, in some of the visuals, like, you know, even, like, as the, um, as they attack, as the machines attack the ship at the end, and, like, Trinity and Neo share that kiss, and there's kind of all the sparks and stuff flying in the background from the machines attacking, like, there really is, this, this film, if, if this was released today, I'd be like, there were some cool visual effects, and, it, and you know it was 20 over 20 years ago like it still holds up visually as well the cinematography of it is brilliant and considering it was their second film and obviously uh, you know i'm giving the director's credit there not the cinematographer but just stunning work yeah and i think that's the way they get away with it still feeling like a roller coaster even in the early parts of the movie because we're getting information while neo is d- escaping from the agents from the office you know, we're getting um, information when Neo and Morpheus fight in the training. You know, the movie consistently keeps itself 
pacey while doing all that and again all this really cool visual stuff and like but bullet time what i think as well like you're gonna okay you, you want to do cool camera stuff right you want to do bullet time or do slow motion whatever how many movies have done that context contextless you know, just movies where the yeah. you know the, the hero jumps through a window and it goes in slow motion. You can see all the bullets flying or whatever. This movie found an actual excuse to do it cont- contextually. Yeah, the reason we're seeing bullet time is because they're manipulating reality. We, we they're going only, that like that those speeds. That's the, that's what's happening. Like it's it, it yeah, makes so much more sense. <laughs> the true genius of bullet time is immediately afterwards when Trinity says. I've never seen anyone move that fast. And you as an audience member go, oh shit, what we just saw slow was him moving fast. And again, how fucking clever and bold. How many times have we, because, you know, obviously, and, you know, X-Men did it beautifully, but it's been set up prior. Like, and or it cuts away, you know, Ant-Man, for example. We have the big, these big epic action sequences and then they cut away, admittedly more for a gag than exposition, but they cut away to the wider view to basically also give the audience the context of this is happening, this is what's actually happening. How fucking brave is it and revolutionary in 1999 for mm. this film to do that and then fucking explain what they were doing after the fact. <laughs> like, right. it's crazy. You don't get that sort of bold yeah. storytelling now, let alone back in the day. But linking a visual element to the story in itself is like more than most films will bother to do. Do you know what I mean? Like, the, yeah, like yeah, I remember watching um, Wanted, the movie Wanted, which is a comic book adaptation. And it has a bunch of really insane like visual stuff. And the visuals cool. Don't get me wrong. And it's and I I think Wanted kind of is one of the one of the it's one of the movies that gets commissioned in a post Matrix world and not in a pre Matrix world. Um, if that makes sense, it you know it owes a lot of itself to that. But the the, the 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 director of that movie like put loads of really crazy visual stuff in, but there's very little in reality like in story context for any of that. It's just because it looks cool. Fine, like I guess, but like this movie gives its audience a lot more credit. Um, I think, and I think that's one of the reasons this movie like struck such a chord. I think it was it was it wasn't just that it was cool visuals; it was cool visuals with context, with a reason, and that's just again, as as you said, very 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 bold, particularly in the time. Um, mm. So yeah, I don't, and then of course when we. We can move. On. I mean, I'd love to talk about the performances because I'll be honest with you. Other than Keanu Reeves, who is once again doing his absolute best job to try and pretend to be human and mixed results, um, everyone else is amazing in this movie. I mean, Jesus Christ! Like Joe Pantoliano is, uh, is, uh, is Cipher. Um, we talked about him a lot recently because obviously he worked on. Uh, he worked with. He was in. He was in another movie we watched this year. Um, Carrie Ann Moss. What was the movie? Memento. Um, he's amazing. Um, Karen Moss is great. The, I think the true standout for me, I mean, dear Lord, uh, Morpheus. Like, yeah, he's fantastic. What a performance. I'm very, hmm, how do I phrase this that insulting the new actor that's playing him in the new movie? I suppose we don't really know that's what's happening, do we? Um, no, but it seems fairly... The, the yeah, lack of Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah. I'm I'm not saying I mean we've seen um 
uh, Yahya Abdul-Mateen play stuff in the past. We've been very complimentary of his performances. I believe he was in Watchmen. Yeah, I was gonna say he was. Uh, he was in Watchmen. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yes. Same guy. Um, and he's a wonderful actor. But Lawrence Fishburne brings something so. I don't know. I can't even. It's it's, it's magic. I don't. The, the the just to point out the line. Just you want to understand like how brilliant Lawrence Fishburne is in this movie. Watch the dojo scene, and after he says, "You think that's air you're breathing now?" Just watch his face communicate a thousand things. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's incredible. He's got a really hard job where, like, he's got to be a character that you feel like knows stuff they're not saying, but you believe why right. they're not saying it. Like, yeah, absolutely. But um, he also has to feel stunning. like a person that's, like, almost... This world could be collapsed in a moment if anything that he believed. Like, he's got a world belief that if any element of it was proven false, he'd be lost. You know, um... He's... Yeah, he's also so kicking ass in like the and fair play to both of them for the the effort that would have had to have gone into you know learning the fighting styles and certainly you know the training montage. Like I don't know obviously how much of that was them and how much was stunt people, but yeah, fair play. Mm. Um, By the way, okay. um, just before just before you do that, just quick, you know, because we should. Uh, Bill Pipe was the cinematographer. Uh, who also was the cinematographer for Spider-Man 2, Baby Driver. Uh, well, he was director of photography for Baby Driver. Um, you know, The World's End. He's done some. Scott Pilgrim versus The World. He was director of photography. Like, he's done some, done some big stuff. Uh, so, yeah, that's my did shout he work out. On, did, he, did he, by any chance, did he work on Last Night in Soho? Because I saw it this week. And that, that looked beautiful, too. Uh, no, he he was director of photography for Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten right. Rings. Which um, is why he probably didn't do. No. He was... Busy working on Shang-Chi, which also, by the way, looked great. <laughs> so, yeah. cool. So, there you um, go. But, I mean, yeah. So, I just... Just, I think, on the whole, like, everything... All the major things that you want to be working in this movie work, for me. Um, I think that it's a really great hmm. concept, really great action, awesome visuals that are actually made sense of context. The actors are on fire. The music's amazing. Um, the aesthetic is wonderful. Um, little note for those of you who might have seen this on a on Netflix or a DVD copy acquired between 2007 and 2018. I'm sorry. Um, you've seen an insane version that a colorblind person color corrected. I don't know what happened. I mean, so the internet speculation is that when they went to do the remasters in 2007, um, they get recolored because they come from the original prints. They don't print from the last DVD release, they they remaster, so they go back to the original, and it seems that the colorist just was some fucking like maverick that went, "Hey, this one doesn't look like the other two, so I'm gonna turn the green up." <laughs> and while it does kind of make it look a little bit more like the other two, the problem is that um, the other two there was a lot of green going on in the backgrounds, but the the actors still had you know human skin tones. <laughs> <laughs> the the version that exists that has also been the one that's ended up on like Netflix and stuff is so fucking green. The characters look sick in every scene. It's horrendous. It looks ugly as shit. They fixed it in 2018. They went back from another negative and, and, and made it more naturalistic, which is the colour scheme it would have had in the theatres. But if you ever watch this movie and think, God, it's a lot greener than I remember, maybe check where you're watching it from. Uh, look, because some absolute lunatic went <laughs> way too far. I kind of respect his balls to be like, yeah, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna improve this classic. <laughs> I 
I mean, it's worth noting. Look, it's this his job. His job is to recolor it because it, the, the movies always get recolored when they get transferred from film to digital mediums like DVD. That was always the process. Yeah. But um, <laughs> Look, if they're going to make that many it... changes, bring in the directors or the DOP or like someone who worked on the original visuals and be like, is this what you were no. thinking of? <laughs> Here's the thing, Dan. No. You don't want to say it. I don't want to say it. Someone's got called him out on it. It was George Lucas. <laughs> George Lucas was like, right, we've got an opportunity. I love to fuck about in these instances. Let's make it more in line with the sequels. Yeah. It's got Lucas written all over it, my friend. Yeah. I just, yeah. Like, yeah. I don't even know what to say other than just like, What's... whoever it was, I, I like, I, you know, love you to bits, whoever you are, because you're an absolute maniac. Uh, <laughs> I just don't understand how anyone could look at those visuals and think that looked right. I just, honestly, it's so bad. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, the whole movie looks puke green. Um, anyway, uh, that's not the version I watched. Um, thankfully, I managed to I, get hold of the 2018 version. Although the version of the DVD we've got, Chris, that box set, I think that's from 2004, and I think that's free of that problem. Um, I think it is. Yeah, no, I yeah. think it. That's my. That's certainly my memory. I don't yeah. think I've seen. I don't think I've ever seen the proper green version. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. Um, I'm trying to see if there's anything else I want to. I want to. Yeah, you cover. got any notes before we triv it up? Yeah, uh, oh, just the Neo Smith fight is just incredible. Um, it's, oh, it's amazing. It's, it, it, you're right. It it would be better if there were some personal stakes between the two at this point, but they've they've only interacted once, um, so that is kind of a shame. But it's still really like quite a powerful fight. I oh, guess the yes. the reason that state that again individual character building rather than yeah. it relationships with each other because we've just at that point had a great speech from hugo weaving who's amazing in this movie about how much he hates being in the matrix and you realize his disdain for neo and morpheus and those guys is that if he could just get the information out of one of them he could go take down zion and then there'd be no reason for him to be there anymore and I think, and that's an incredible motivation for a villain. <laughs> but also, I think what's it kind of feels like Neo's fighting on behalf of Morpheus in that moment. Do you know what I mean? And I think right. that helps as well because mm-hmm. they've set him up as such a good villain, and they ha- did do the best interrelationship they did was Morpheus and Neo. Mm-hmm. you kind of you you kind of get away with it for that and also it looks fucking cool and it doesn't matter like, I don't, you know it's that roller coaster thing isn't it i don't think mm-hmm. yeah it's it's one of those that's an ideal but it doesn't really subtract from the joy of the movie no. in reality no um i want to give the movie a shout out for its comedy um there isn't a lot of comedy in the movie um uh, but there's more than i remembered uh i particularly yeah, want to shout out um the, the, when he goes through the, the metal detector <laughs> and he just yeah. opens his coat and it's about a thousand guns <laughs> the only thing with crazy. that is like those guys that they're slaughtering are pretty innocent <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in the scheme of things like well. I suppose they presumably have been told to guard this shady thing and you know but they're still and they're obviously they're you know people in pods in a 
video game reality they don't know, but they're still killing them. <laughs> well, that's what's interesting because Morpheus talks about that in the in the, the agent training program. He says that all of these people that they, they are the people they're trying to save, but they're currently dependent on a system. They will try yeah, and defend it. Yeah. They're our enemy until we save them, until we get them out of it. We, you know, they, they will try and protect this system we're trying to bring down. Um, and that's a really fascinating idea because I think that goes into like a lot of real world politics stuff as well. Because, you know, in the real world, there are people defending institutions and systems we know are broken. Right. Like, I don't want to get too political. I know, you know, take a shot down talking about politics again. But when you look at like the reaction to like Black Lives Matter or even like Trump, like there are obviously always people that want to defend this clearly broken institution or thing. Right. Um, you know, the, the, there are clearly problems with policing. I'm not going to I don't even want to I'm not even going to put my opinion on it forward right now. I'm just going to say I don't think at this point you can deny some changes need to be made where you lean on a political spectrum you might have different maybe thoughts but i just think it's very clear that something needs to change innocent people being murdered by police is not acceptable under any version of reality but there are people defending that system with their lives with their like with their with every breath their passion so the idea and i don't know if this movie was that ahead of the time obviously it wasn't referring to that but like the 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 way it understands people and sort of says look that right now everyone's our enemy because they they will defend this you know whether they want to or not whether they know what they're defending or not they will still do it and i thought i don't know yeah i found that really really inter- interesting and obviously any person can become an agent as well um so yeah i thought that was very it does make it murky in terms of you're right they're murdering a bunch of innocent people um but i think they kind of cover it earlier in the movie with that and i while that's not like a perfect explanation it certainly doesn't make them heroes um you understand why they're doing it which i think is really cool Mm, yeah absolutely that's fair that's fair Um, should we should we triv it up yeah i think so I, i mean oh i just want to point out one other quick detail actually sorry just because this I've seen some concerns online of people going, it's a plot hole. Um, in the next movie, or one of the next movies, it becomes clear that machines kind of already know where Zion is. So everyone's going, what's the premise of this movie is they're trying to get the location of Zion out of Morpheus's head. No. That is not correct. What they're trying to get out of Morpheus's head are the codes to Zion's computers. Presumably, Zion has digital defences. And if you can get into the computers, you can bring those down and then Zion can be taken. Mm. Right? Mm. Yeah, that's how I viewed it. Yeah, and that's I mean, it's literally what they say in the movie. So people who think that they're trying to get the location of Zion out of Morpheus, pay more attention. No point does anyone say location. They talk about the access codes to the computers. Um, so there you go. Uh, what else was there? Oh, I... <laughs> I want to give a quick shout out you know after the another again just talking about the, the weird comedy that comes out of nowhere in this movie the moment after they get in the lift after the shootout where that one random panel just crumbles it's just a long shot yeah, of the, that, that old. extremely funny and a complete accident oh really oh that's cool it just fell down and they were just like well we gotta put that in the movie the that felt like a really modern like that kind that the, the almost a marvel joke isn't it joke yeah the the construction of that joke and that that joke we've seen in multiple forms since then but that felt very ahead of its time like it was like oh that's you know it 
it's the kind of humor you see in all sorts of stuff at the moment. You know, Free Guy's got a lot of that, you know, whatever. Um, there's countless examples. But I don't yeah. think it was that common back in the day. And actually, no. that felt like an incredibly modern joke. Agreed. Or at least ahead of its time. Yeah. Agreed. Should we get into the trivia then, Chris? Let's trivia it up! Triv it up. So, I'm going to go through it. There's a lot of it. I'm going to go through it as quickly as I can. So, um, this is the movie literally no one wanted to make. Um, several Hollywood studio execs passed on the project, claiming that sci-fi was basically bad business at this point. Uh, they even cited um, recent failures, of one of which at the time was hilariously a Keanu Reeves picture called Johnny Mnemonic, uh, as an example. Um, you know... They had this vision basically for five and a half years, working through many drafts of the screenplay, while studios just kept tearing it down and saying they didn't want to make it. There was a lot of, we like the ideas in the script, but this is going to be too expensive on screen, or it might not work on screen. You know, how do you translate this very complex science fiction? Like Maybe this is better as a comic book or a book or something like that, which is actually funny, because the reason they came up with the concept for The Matrix was they were asked to write a comic book and it was they developed this idea initially as it was going to be a comic book and then turned it into a feature script um because they you know it got more and more imaginative and more and more in depth um so yeah eventually they went and created 600 storyboards to demonstrate how Jesus. this would be communicated visually um wow. with uh, they hired two illustrators uh steve scroyce and Jeffrey Darrow, and they then were able to sell the movie to Warner's um, after seeing sort of the bold vision in the in these images, and finally the movie got greenlit. But am I right in saying, as part of that, they had to make Bound first? Uh, I believe that's correct. Um, or were they making Bound while they were still trying to sell this? I'm not 100 percent sure. But the the <laughs> the other thing the studio insisted on was that they had to in- increase the amount of explore expan uh explain expl- oh god explanatory dialogue is the word that's written here which i don't think is a word but yeah basically all the exposition because basically this screenplay was being won as a screenplay that quote-unquote nobody understands mm. so um and now we move on to a new section chris of trivia called everyone in the world turned down this movie so uh, access wise yes so i want to normally we do the the, the the would-be castings we've talked about the idea of like the rick portal god you go to the dimension where another actor ended up being in the movie and normally it's because you know they they were signed on but then in the end there was a scheduling conflict money whatever um there are a million reasons sometimes we talk about actors that auditioned but didn't quite get it they weren't quite right for the role blah 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 this is primarily list uh, a list of people who didn't want to do it they either thought it would fail, didn't understand the script, didn't like it, whatever. It's incredible, Chris, how many people didn't want to do this movie. <laughs> so right, go I'll, I'll go through it as quick as I can. Uh, Lou Diamond Phillips was sent the script, but was later told by his agent that the movie would flop, so didn't do it. Uh, David Duchovny turned down the role of Neo in order to star in The X-Files. So this is turned down, was offered. This isn't was talked about, was considered. This is literally, they gave him a contract and he said no. Uh, Nicolas Cage turned down the role of Neo due to a scheduling conflict and uh, some other stuff with family issues. Brad Pitt turned down the role of Neo for a slightly different reason. He didn't believe the role was his. 
whatever that means. Yeah. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio turned down the part of Neo, supposedly because he was concerned about the amount of visual effects. Ewan McGregor turned down the role of Neo because he wanted to do Star Wars. Um, both movies actually then competed against each other for the Best Visual Effects Academy Award and The Matrix won. Uh, Will Smith famously was approached to play Neo, turned down uh, the movie in order to do Wild Wild West, uh, later admitting that at the time he didn't feel he was mature enough as an actor and that if he had been given a, the role, he'd have messed it up anyway. So he has no regrets and he thinks Keanu was brilliant as Neo, which See, is a very nice thing fair to Fair play. That, that Will Smith thing sounds more genuine because no one's asked about this until the movie becomes a hit. So Brad Pitt saying he couldn't find the role or whatever, that you, you, you fucked it, Brad. You fucked up. Admit you fucked up. Like, don't try and make out some wanky excuse. Like... He didn't believe the Will role Smith was his. Like, yeah, didn't believe the role was his. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's because you yeah. turned it down. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, there was there either wasn't enough money or your agent, like several of these people's agents, went, this will be a flop, don't bother. Yeah. And um, to be fair, if I'd have read that script as an agent, I'd have gone, hmm. <laughs> yeah, because even this... if you like the script, there's a big difference between thinking it's a good script and thinking the script will make money. That, that yeah. It's not about the quality of the script. It's about marketability, right? So, you know, the agents Absolutely. are looking for different things in scripts than, than people who just want to read a script because they enjoy it. Um, but this list keeps going, Chris. Oh, my. Uh, Jada Pinkett Smith is one of the few people that auditioned but didn't get it uh, for the role mm-hmm. uh, in the movie. She actually went for Trinity, didn't get it. Um, but people who turned down the role of Trinity include Gillian Anderson, Sandra Bullock, um, who actually, ironically, turned it down because at the time, Will Smith was going to be in the movie. Um, later on, she regretted this decision because had she been cast, she would have been reunited with Keanu Reeves, who she'd worked with on Speed, and that would well, have been does fun. She, what does she didn't? Does she not like Will Smith? What? <laughs> like... Doesn't, no, no, no explanation. So I'm just going to go with racist. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> right. um, no, I don't know. There's no. I guess she just thought like a Will Smith movie might be like, you know, Will Smith made very specific movies at that point, didn't he? I mean. <laughs> A lot yeah, of like, yeah. yeah, maybe she just thought yeah. like a Will Smith vehicle is not the kind of movie she wanted to be in because you know it's a Will Smith vehicle, you know, you're not you're, you're taking a back seat to an actor like Will Smith, which I think is a fair. Yeah. I'm speculating, but I could understand if that's what it was. Um, now here's a list of people who all auditioned or were offered the role and then turned it down of Trinity. Um, it's fucking massive. I'm going to read through this very quickly. Marissa Tomei, Selma Hayek, Catherine Zeta Jones, Jennifer Lopez, Angelina Jolie. Uh, Angie Harmon, Drew Barrymore, Kate Hudson, uh, Uma Thurman, Ming-Na Wen, uh, Michelle Yeoh, Lucy Liu, Heather Graham, Elizabeth Hurley, um, Jennifer Beals, and Ashley Judd. Oh, and Mariska Haggerty. All. I think. So I think all of I've, Hollywood I've all... got offered this movie. <laughs> I'm, yeah, and I'm not I done because think... we've, we've not even got to Agent Smith or Morpheus yet, but carry on. <laughs> I was just going to say, I think of all the trinities, Sandra Bullock, I think, could have done a really good job. Yep. But it's very hard, even more than Neo, if for me, it's hard to imagine anyone but Carrie Ann Moss's trinity. Right. She's wonderful in this movie. She, She's amazing, yeah. She brings a real, like, it'd be so easy to dismiss her performance as, like, too stoic and guarded and a bit stiff, but it, I think that's the choice. She's made a really great acting choice. <laughs> To have mm. to be that guarded, it, it, these characters have been through an awful lot, and it makes a lot of sense for the Trinity character to behave the way she behaves in this movie. 
Mm. It's a very measured yeah. performance for Carrie Ann Moss. I think she does a wonderful job. Um, yeah, one of the weirdest and arguably worst alternate realities, and I desperately, if I had a, my, the, 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 the Rick and Morty portal gun, I would definitely be trying to find this one just out of sheer morbid curiosity. But there was a point in which Jean Reno was approached to play Agent Smith. Fucking hell. <laughs> so who is that? Jean Reno. Um, I, what? <sighs> I, mate, I don't know what that movie is. <laughs> It's not this one. I know. No, I mean, what's Gene Reno been in? I, um, I mostly know Gene Reno from from the nineteen ninety eight Godzilla movie, which is what he actually made in place of this. Um, oh, right. But, he was also uh, in, you know, the Da Vinci Code, Mission Impossible, Pink Panther. Right. He's just an extremely French man. I don't mean to be rude, but he's an extreme. He is like the most French person. Right. Well, would have been a French like, Neo. That would have a French Morpheus. Uh, no, Smith. Oh, right. <laughs> Apparently one of the reasons he turned it down was he didn't want to move to Australia, which is where they filmed the movie. Um, so, for Morpheus, they considered uh, Samuel L. Jackson and Gary Oldman. Uh, they also um, offered it to Chow Young-Fat, who turned it down. Uh, Val Kilmer was considered. Um, but they liked him paired with Will Smith. When they had Will Smith in conversation, they thought Val Kilmer was the choice, but when Smith exited, they then turned around and offered it to Russell Crowe, um, who turned it down. Um, when when later was asked about this, he just said, I just didn't get it. I couldn't get past page 42. That world was just not interesting to me. <laughs> Which again, I was... <laughs> fair play to Russell Crowe. Yeah. It's way A little bit of honesty. Brad Pitt saying, you know, what did Brad Pitt say? Really, what did he say? I'm trying to really, find it. Um, really going in on Brad Pitt for that. Oh no, but he didn't believe the role was his. What wanky bullshit was that? One second. Uh, Nadia, you can shut the door. Um, I left, for those wondering, Nadia's come home. I left the... Hello, Nadia. Um, I left the door to this room open because um, otherwise the cat would have meowed at the other side of it for the whole podcast. And because we've just moved, we can't let the cat out yet. So While you're doing that, there's a lot moving around outside my door. I'm just going to check it's, uh, it is Jess and we're not being robbed. Oh yeah, definitely double check that. God, if imagine if we got audio of you being robbed. Chris is going there. Yeah. One second. I've I've got it also oh, stopped. Just it. Bear with me. Hmm. All right. Um, for listeners, for, uh, for listeners, uh, there was probably a little break there uh, when Chris went to double check he wasn't being robbed and was not, and I discovered that um, I left the oven on all day. Oh shit! <laughs> the new oven has a baking setting, um, or like not a setting, like a special setting for like frozen food that doesn't use the fan and is therefore completely silent. Right. That's what Shit. I used to cook my lunch. Ah, <laughs> oh, balls. Yeah. <laughs> well, watch out Between for that. Between us, 
so I'm flushing the toilet all day. <laughs> You've got, to, and I've just yeah. discovered. Jess, Jess was telling me because, like, she went, "Do you want to know the highlight of the day?" And I just went, "I'm still doing the podcast." <laughs> she went, "The bulb in the bathroom's gone," which means that both both the toilet we have a separate toilet and like bathroom with like a shower and stuff. So both the toilet and the bathroom are fucked. Um, but Amazing. I just loved that we would just have it. And then I got back and I was like, "Is Dan going to be like, why are you having a conversation?" And I got back and I just heard Daddy talk about electricity and i was like oh that's okay that's there he's doing the same yeah um so i and I'm, I'm glad something happened there chris because i felt bad about this so in the run of the trivia we had russell crowe saying i didn't get it couldn't get past page 42 yeah immediately followed with what sounds like lawrence fisher fishbone directly responding to russell crowe which is not what happened, but that's how it sounded. He was just talking generally because there was a a vibe in Hollywood about not getting the script, and it's not a response. But Lawrence Fishburne said that once he'd read the script, he couldn't understand why other people found it confusing. He actually, his doubt was actually more that the movie wouldn't necessarily get made because it was, in his words, so smart. So he thought the movie was a bit too complex, for like a Hollywood popcorn in audience, like you know, he and, and didn't think it would get made uh, in the end, but liked the script and understood it. So yeah, there you go. Um, Fair play. So let's get to the main trivia because that's all the casting nonsense out of the way. So much. Mm-hmm. Um, just anything stand out for you that I mean, I, I like Chow Young Fat as Morpheus might have been all right, I guess, for the action, but I don't know if he'd have given the 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 the, the, the other stuff the same I, gravitas that we got I, from Lawrence Fishburne. I think they're all perfect. Even even Keanu Reeves is. I wouldn't want to see anyone else in that role. No, no. Like you know, yes, Keanu's trying to be human, but so's Neo. So it works. <laughs> it it works for me. Um, he's not. Yeah, he's not no, the most I... convincing human. Um, I'll be honest with you. Uh, no, but it's. I mean, please, yeah, but it's, anyone it's... who doesn't know, just Google the scene. I, don't, I forget what movie it's from. Does it? I think maybe it's like the Lake House or something. There's a movie where he's he, he, the, the requirement for the scene was that he sneezes, and his attempt at recreating a human sneeze does make me think he's from space. <laughs> but to be fair, this is the movie where that's okay. I mean, he's also yeah. in a rom com called Destination Wedding with Renona Ryder. I mean, he's you know it's it's more challenging there. It bumps up you bump up against that more there and than you do here. And it's also worth noting that I just want to clarify. I love Keanu Reeves. I think he's amazing. I oh think yeah, he's, he's amazing. Like, yeah, he's one of the best. Um, I just you know I don't think he's the best actor, but I think he's a really great performer for other reasons. Um, and anyway. by all accounts, an incredible person. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Every. Yeah. He's supposed to be lovely. So there you go. Um, and he's quite hard on himself. I discovered looking into this movie. We'll come back to that. Um, he's he's very good in uh, "Call Me Always Be My Maybe" or whatever that called. That yes, he called. is. He's great in that. You're right. And John Wick, but mm. John Wick again. It's like a very dehumanized like yes character. Yeah, John they, they, Wick, they, I think. You know, when he's cast correctly, he's amazing. Anyway, um, at the director's request, the actors and actresses were were needed to explain and understand the Matrix not only as a film but as a philosophy. Um, a, a book called uh, Simula Lacra and Simulation was required reading for the cast and crew. The um, Reeves has stated that Wachowski's made him read that and a book called Out of Control, another book called Evolutionary Psychology, before he could even open the script. Wow. Um, 
eventually Keanu Reeves was able to actually understand and explain all of the philosophical nuances involved in the script. Carrie Ann Moss, on the other hand, commented that she had difficulty with this process, which I think is fair. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's unreasonable. Uh, yeah, it's not for everyone, that sort of stuff, is it? Um, no. Shot almost in time, and also, the actor doesn't need to understand all that stuff. It's fine. Yeah. Just get to play a character. Yeah, it's fine. Um, shot almost entirely in Sydney, Australia. The location scouts did find it very difficult to find sort of burn, burned out American ghetto looking locations. Uh, many of the urban decay locations actually had to be created by scratch. Uh, but the plus side was by filming in Australia, they kept the film's budget very low. Um, Warners basically couldn't have afforded to make it if it had been a US based production. They reckon it. So they made it for 60 million. Um, it would have cost about 180 million if they'd made it in the US. Wow. So they saved a lot of money doing that. Um, the filming of the helicopter scene did nearly cause the entire film to get shut down because the hot helicopter flew through restricted Sydney airspace. Um, <laughs> <laughs> good move. Uh, they actually ended up changing laws in New South Wales, Australia um, to allow for the filming to continue to proceed. Um, the first day of shooting they did was the scene where Neo receives the phone from Morpheus in the office and flees from the agents. The very last scene they filmed was Neo waking up in the pod and being flushed away and then picked up by the Nebuchadnezzar. The reason they shot that last was to allow Keanu Reeves to lose 15 pounds and shave his whole body to give Neo an emaciated look. Wow. That's a lot of effort. He, uh, that's a great scene. Very suspenseful, very tense. Yeah, and gross. Thing. There's a bit. There's a fair bit of body horror in this movie. Like, especially early on, I think needles in the back of their heads and like the sound effects where you like that stuff goes down his throat. Like, yeah, some gross yeah, stuff in this even, movie. And before, especially, I think that's kind of how they ramp the tension up before the actions. Because you think right. about like so much early on, like his mouth getting um, yes, very upsetting. you know his mouth getting sewn together or whatever like mm-hmm. uh, like body horror those exact words went went through my mind watching certainly the the early parts definitely yeah yeah for sure for sure um in the first 45 minutes of the movie neo has 80 lines 44 of which are questions <laughs> I love it that. averages at roughly more than one that question trip, per minute <laughs> more than that tw- triv i love that someone's worked it out yeah, me too. It's the main reason I kept it. Uh, the opening action sequence took six months of training, but then four days to shoot. Um, on that subject, actually, they, they, the legendary Hong Kong stunt coordinator Wu Ping Yen, um, I think I'm pronouncing that right, apologies if I'm not, initially refused to work on the film, like every fucker else. Um, and even after receiving the script, which he didn't like, um, but he hoped that by asking for an exorbitant fee, it would put them off. Um, they, they agreed to pay him the absorbent fee. Uh, when that failed, then he gave them what he considered was an impossible request. He said he'd only make the movie if he had complete, 100% control of the fight choreography and would be allowed to train the actors himself with his own team and for four months prior to shooting. The Wachowskis agreed. <laughs> wow. Worth it, though, wouldn't it? Yeah. Fight scenes are amazing. Like if, those, if, if those sequences suck, the whole movie falls apart. Agreed. Yes, so question. completely worth it. Um, obviously, all the scenes in The Matrix, um, all versions, have a green tint. Um, the idea is that you're watching through the monitor and it's the code is green, so they're, they're, they're all tinted green. Um, scenes in the real world have a blue tint, um, you know, and blue is kept to a minimum within the world of The Matrix, which is the directors thought that 
blue kind of represented more the real world, which is ironic because blue is actually the least often uh, naturally occurring color in nature. So um, it's kind of almost the opposite of what's true, but that's the way the visual aesthetic they went for. Um, the uh, fight between Neo and Morpheus, which is neither in the real world nor the Matrix, is tinted yellow. So there you go. Mm. Um, so even Maybe. you know, even in the in the color corrected version, you know, the, the original theatrical release or the remastered one from 2018, that you know, that there is still a green tint to that stuff. It's just not turned up to the point of making all the characters look like we just got off a roller coaster. Um, mm. Before filming, uh, the principal actors and actresses did indeed spend four months doing martial arts choreography. Um, they originally were under the impression it would just be a few weeks, so that was quite a shock. Um, so now we get to a section called Every Fucker Got Hurt Making This Movie. <laughs> so prior to I like production... you named every um, section this week. Yeah. So prior to production, Keanu Reeves suffered uh, two-level fusion... A two-level fusion of his cervical spine, which had begun Jesus. to cause Polaris... Polar- Paralysis in his legs, requiring him to undergo neck surgery. He also had a hip accident in the early days of shooting as well. Um, or was that Hugo Weaving? We'll come back to that. Um, he was still recovering by the time of production, but he insisted on doing the training anyway. Stunt coordinator Wing uh, uh, Wu Ping Yen let him practice only the punches and lighter moves. Reeves trained very hard and even requested to do training on his days off. However, the surgery did leave him unable to kick. Um, for two out of the four months of training. As a result, uh, Neo doesn't kick a lot in the movie. Um, Due to his neck injury, some of the action scenes had to be completely rescheduled to accommodate full recovery. As a result, filming um, began with the scenes that did not require as much physical exertion, such as the scene, you know, where he he gets interrogated, sneaks out of the office, talks to the Oracle, the car ride, you know, all that stuff was shot earlier. Um, A similar concession was made for Hugo Weaving, who suffered an injury. Um, I've seen two reports, some saying he hurt his leg, some saying he hurt his hip um, during one of the first days of shooting. Um, Unclear what actually happened. Again, he definitely got injured, the exact nature of which is lost in a sea of people giving different bits of trivia here and i've not been able to source the the sort of the truth um but basically for a while there was a suggestion he might have to be recast but they shuffled the schedule around for neo to do all of his fights at the end so they did the same thing for uh hugo weaving so he was able to do all of his fight scenes at the end of the movie the the shoot and he kept his part um i mean to be fair he's often fighting neo so that makes sense (laughs) yeah exactly exactly worked out um weirdly uh when filming the scene where neo slams smith into the ceiling of the subway tunnel chad stelensky and keanu reeves oh who was keanu reeves stunt double um sustained several injuries including broken ribs knees and dislocated shoulder another stuntman was also injured by a hydraulic puller during a shot where neo was slammed into a booth uh, so stuntmen were not free of being hurt <laughs> during the production of this movie now oh, i'm blimey. There's one more someone getting hurt thing, and this one bothered me. Um, I'll very briefly talk about why. Carrie Ann Moss performed shots featuring Trinity at the beginning of the film. Um, the beginning of the shoot, where, you know, there was a lot, a lot of wire stunts generally throughout. But she actually twisted her ankle shooting one of the early scenes, but decided not to tell anyone until after filming so that they wouldn't recast her. Jesus. Now, this is not a comment on this movie. The production, 
the crew, the Wachowskis, the stunt coordinators, anyone who worked on this movie at all. But I think it's fucked up that the culture in Hollywood at the time was that a male actor gets an injury, they rework yeah, the whole exactly. shoot. Female actor gets injured, God, they'll recast me. I better pretend I'm not. That's crazy, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So That's just Hollywood culture, not a comment on anyone who worked on this movie. Yeah, yeah. Make that very clear. The, the, the... The comment is, it's such a shame she felt, you know, that was the case. Not, right. not sorry, she felt that way. It's a shame that that was the case. That she, that that she was very confident that would happen. It's, is it speaks volumes about the stuff she'd been through previously. Yeah, completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Uh, in Greek, I oh, say so here we go. So just, just some general, like, last, like well, there's still a bunch true, but I'll blast through some of these because these aren't as, uh, these are just sort of more general ones. Uh, in Greek mythology, Morpheus is the god of dreams, which is ironic considering that Morpheus, his role in the film is to awaken people from dream states. Um, according to the costume designer Kim uh, Barrett, Trinity's costume was made of cheap PVC uh, because of the tight budget. Similarly, Neo's coat wasn't actually made of any expensive fabrics at all. It was just a cheap wool blend that could be purchased at $3 a yard. Um, mm. And Keanu Reeves' wardrobe for the opening portion of the movie when he's, you know, uh, Mr. Anderson himself, uh, his wardrobe is all deliberately shabby and ill-fitting, suggesting that Thomas Anderson's feeling, uh, sort of implying Thomas Anderson's feeling of not quite fitting into the world. So there we go. Um, when Belinda McClory auditioned for the role of Switch, this is a good one, she was only actually auditioning for one half of the role. The character was originally planned to be played by androgynous actors. In the real world, Switch would be a male actor, and in The Matrix, a female, hence the name Switch. Oh. This is a brilliant idea, in my opinion, and it's Mm. a real shame they didn't get to do that. Uh, Warner Brothers, apparently, were behind just keeping a single actress in the role in both environments in the end. And I'm sure their reasoning was just, let's not confuse the audience. But considering the Wachowskis ended up transitioning, Mm. I think it's safe to say that there are several allegories across the Matrix movies, and I'm not the guy to comment on them. There are brilliant articles and podcasts and YouTube videos analysing the sort of mythology of this this universe and and, and how it relates to... um, ideas of trans identity and all that stuff and, and gender identity and stuff and I'm, I'm, I'm not the guy qualified to comment on that I do think it's a shame though that one of the more overt ones was nixed yeah I agree and again I don't feel like the studio were going mm, we can't have any of that stuff I, it just sounds like the studio went I might confuse the audience yeah 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 I'm not saying I'm not defending them because that is still it's still a shame. No, but, but it's yeah. it's a massive it's a massive shame. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. No, uh, numerous sets of identical twins were cast as extras in the woman in red scene to create the illusion of a repeating training program made with limited resources. Um, so I think that's really cool that basically a bunch of the characters now have the same face um, as they go through the crowd because obviously in a video game you see the same NPCs you know, the same model being reused all the time. So there are constantly the same faces in a crowd in a video game. So I think that was really neat as an idea. Uh, they went to a lot of trouble to cast twins, and I thought that was fun. They'll do more of that in the next one. Um, we'll come back to it. Um, um, when Neo gets in the car with Trinity for the first time, Switch refers to him as Copper Top. So Copper Top is apparently, and this is a one, that, it's one that's confused me for a long time, Chris. 
Never understood it. Thought it was some American thing I didn't get. Turns out Copper Top is slang for a Duracell for the Duracell brand of batteries. Because when you look at a Duracell battery, it's like black, but the the, the, the top bit, they always do it in that sort of like coppery brown colour. Uh, okay. So the idea is that, you know, he's an energy source, he's a battery, he's still plugged in. Copper top. Yeah, that's clever. Yeah. Mm. And obviously, the battery that Morpheus uses as an example when he talks to Neo about it he is, is a Duracell. It's with a copper top. With a copper top. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Um, we've already talked about that one. Uh, with the exception of the call traces, the the sort of gilfs on the computer screens that represent the matrix code consist of backwards letters. So letters literally flipped. Uh, numbers and Japanese... Uh, oh, God. Katakana characters? Um, I hope I pronounced that right. Apologies if I didn't. Um, so yeah, they they it's, that's it's so none of it is like traditional letters and numbers. It's all like reversed and using Japanese characters as well. Um, yeah, it's a cool detail. Yeah, Carrie Ann Moss has reported multiple times that she found it impossible after the films to re- release to ever wear sunglasses because it made her instantly recognisable. That is a curse. <laughs> <laughs> that is a that's true. Fair. That is a true <laughs> curse. And then finally, well, everyone's favourite segment, amazing. Chris. Everyone's favourite segment. It's time for Cars Exist. Cars Exist. The car used... It gets worse every week. <laughs> that was me putting the brakes on it, Dan. Right, very good. I liked it. Um, the car used while inside the Matrix is a black 1965 Lincoln Continental and I want to note that on the IMDB page, when you scroll to the top it tells you how many people found something interesting tens of thousands of people found many of the trivias I've read out to you today Chris, interesting. 97 people found that interesting (laughs) and then the final final piece is also part of Cars Exist or a little subcategory of Cars Exist motorcycles exist uh, Trinity rides a jet black Triumph Speed Triple, and I want to make note there that literally nobody found this interesting. Zero <laughs> until today, because right, I clicked yes. <laughs> I was gonna say I'm, I'm on it. Right, what was <laughs> right? What was the trivia again? It was uh, the, the motorcycle Trinity rides is a jet black Triumph Speed Triple. Jet black Triumph. Right. Are you gonna add? Wait. Go on. And I would encourage all listeners yeah. to do the same. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so trivia. Search Jet Black. There we go. Oh, wait. Oh, no. It says 61 of 70 found this interesting. Re- oh. It's, earlier on for me, it said zero. And I clicked it and it went up to one. Oh, all right. Well, still. Get it more likes, anyway, Interesting. Yes. Oh, create an account. <laughs> nah, can't be asked. <laughs> Uh, am I logged in? Oh yeah, I am logged in. Is it on there twice? No, just the once. Yeah, I've got sixty-one of seventy found this oh. interesting. Okay, well there you go. That's better than I thought. Um, maybe, anyway. it, maybe it glitched out and didn't load it properly when I looked at it earlier. Because I made a note of both. It's ninety-seven for the Lincoln Continental one, and then I, no zero for what I looked at from what I saw for that one. But there you go. Um, so that is the movie. Oh, yeah, um, find... How do you spell Lincoln? L i n c o l n. L-I-N-C-O. 97 out of 107. Yeah, weird. How yeah, so 97 that? is how many I said. 
So that yeah, one's accurate. that's what I mean. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it says that that one is what oh, I'm I see, seeing. Yeah, so why was one accurate and one not? Yeah. Disappointing. Anyway. Yeah. Either way. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, good good old time. We, normally, we do a whole, what are we going to review next week? But um, obviously, we've made, say, it clear. Got, we've made it very clear. We've made it very clear. Pink Floyd's The Wall. <laughs> can we... Can you clarify your joking or I watch Pink Floyd The Wall? <laughs> yeah. I mean, technically it is my choice and I could do something else. But no, obviously yeah. we're going to watch The Matrix Reloaded, uh, which I'm actually really looking forward to. I think there's going to be more to say on the sequels than this because they're famously like broken. <laughs> yes, but um, equally, I think we'll find more. Yes. I think we'll find more good in them than we're expecting to find. Yes, I'd agree. I think that's exactly right. I think that's 100% right. Because I, I, I think one thing that is consistent with the Wachowski... I think I understand the Wachowskis now in a way I didn't when I was mm. younger. And I think I know where they've gone wrong. Like, I, I already know that they overloaded it with too many different concepts and ideas and didn't focus on the ones they could have and, you know, didn't have the same time to refine it as this one. So with that understanding in mind, I think I'll be a lot more forgiving of how bloated it is and how much insane stuff goes on. <laughs> Um. So yeah, I th- I feel like I'm going to enjoy it more than I've ever enjoyed it. If I'm being honest with you, Chris. Yeah, yeah, I think that's absolutely fair. I remember, I remember doing a rewatch and liking the second one more and understanding it. Yeah, the third one. Well. St- I think the so. third one will be the one that I'm going to really like. Want to? Yeah. Like, be, yeah, I'm going to struggle with the third one, but I think the second one yeah. will probably hold up reasonably well. Yeah, it's still going to be. That's fair. Worse than this one. Um, but this is I a think. big old recommend. Yeah, definitely go back and check out The Matrix. Uh, I've talked about this in the past. I work with a lot of quite young people uh, in my job. And the the amount of them that I'm just like, oh, New Matrix coming out this year. They're like, yeah, I've never really seen The Matrix. kind of know of it. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> that That <laughs> is one thing I just... You know, quickly. I was trying to find. I was trying to find a Google image search that would, and then I was going to be like, the scene I'm looking forward to is uh, is when all the kids say that they don't need no education. Um, I was trying, but I couldn't see like all the imagery from the Pink Floyd the Wolves film seems crazy. Um, in a good yes. way, in an excellent Pink Floyd way. But um, I will say like, and I meant to do it. I didn't have a chance between watching and recording, but. I gotta rewatch the trailer for Resurrections now that it's really fresh in my mind. Because one thing watching this film made me go is fucking hell. There really is a lot of like echoing in the shots, isn't there? <laughs> From yes. what we've seen so far. Um, but yeah, maybe we'll maybe we'll yeah. talk about that at some point. As yeah, a, maybe, as a maybe bonus. once we maybe once we've done the third one, we'll have a little like what are we what are we expecting from Resurrections mm. chat? Yeah. Mm. yeah but definitely. yeah, hopefully everyone's cool. enjoying this. Um, Presumably, at uh, the time of releasing this podcast, Resurrections is either just about to come out or it's been delayed again because of COVID. So that's fun. <laughs> I think in the UK, I've I've heard I've, I'm hearing I'm hearing wind that it's getting pushed back to January, which is funny because they they just literally just like they put out posters. I've seen posters in cinemas and on buses last week or two that are saying like December still, uh, but they're not saying a specific date. And uh, yeah, I have a feeling that they're going to want to give it a bit of space because I think they're starting to see the uh, the numbers on those Spider-Man trailers and shit themselves a little bit, Warners. Ah, uh, <laughs> uh, right. So it's more of a Spider-Man thing than a than a COVID thing, right? Uh, I think right now that's what it is. But I do also think, yeah. obviously, as winter gets in, I think there's a few countries that are going to go into sort of 
you know, small circuit breaker lockdowns over Christmas or around winter, you know, as December approaches. We're recording this in like, it's, it's just because it's November 2nd. Like we're, you know, we're not quite in full on winter yet, but um, uh, yeah, there's already talk of there being a lot small lockdowns in the UK over winter as well. So I, I think yet, that will play a factor yet, in it also. And yet, Dan, not to get too political, not talk of, I don't know, making masks mandatory in public places. Fucking ridiculous. <laughs> Don't you know, Chris? Don't I mean you? You do know. You told me this, Chris. I'm not. I'm not. I'm going to expose you here, Chris. You know, we've had a conversation before this podcast, and you told me directly you don't believe masks work. You said it to me right before we started recording. (laughs) That's what. That's what you believe. Stop trying to pretend. Stop trying to white knight it and uh, and get the credit and be like, oh, everyone should be wearing masks. Before we started, he told me he thought Trump genuinely won the election. I couldn't believe it. Thank you. Thank you for adding a second one to make it very clear that you're being sarcastic. Yeah. 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 I, now that, now that, that joke only works if you take it too far on purpose. Now that he's managed to get married, you don't give a fuck about masks. <laughs> yes. No, he only absolutely. cared about masks when it was... when it was. A, when he, he only believed in COVID when it meant he couldn't get married. <laughs> now, now he's married. He doesn't give a shit. He thinks COVID's a conspiracy. <laughs> I think it's fucking madness, and I think as much as they're like, oh, you know, I, I you can just imagine the conversations, can't you? Oh, but people won't like it. Tell you what, they won't like more a Christmas lockdown. So why don't you introduce that as a preventative measure anyway? Agreed. Agreed. Anyway. So well, I think what we so, all learned today, everyone, if we just take a moment for a final thought, is that Sandra Bullock is a racist. <laughs> again, again, Dad, you've got to stop saying things that could get us in, in trouble. <laughs> She's not obviously a joke. What Obviously we've what we've learned is that we're for context. We're recording the next one Thursday, as Dan said. It's Tuesday. What we've learned is that tomorrow, I'm going to text Dan and go. Just to clarify, reloaded, not Pink Floyd the Wall. Yeah, <laughs> That's definitely, really definitely Matrix Reloaded. It's quite far down. Although now I feel like we're going to have to do it reasonably soon because I feel like we've created a situation where it's it's got to come up, but um, not any not any time immediately soon. No, certainly not this series because yeah. it's it's Matrix yeah. and then we're doing some Christmas specials, so that'll be fun. Oh, yes, I should mention yeah, yeah. actually. Sorry, little extra bonus thing. Um, the Matrix movies we're re- we're doing a little exciting thing. We're releasing them across a single week, so um, I think you're hearing this. On a Tuesday, I think the next one's out Wednesday, and then the ne- uh, no Monday, Wednesday, and Friday maybe. I can't remember. I've planned it all out, but yeah, they're going to go up across a week, so that's exciting. Yep. So if you if you're enjoying this, got... and you want to hear us talk about um, the, the next one. You've only got to wait a day or two, and if you're a patron, um, the same thing will be true, but a week ahead. So you know that's another thing. If you if you want to check it out even sooner, um, head over to the Patreon, patreon.com slash nothing but static. Episodes are released one week earlier than they go out publicly, so if you're listening to this one on YouTube, the other two are already on our Patreon. For as yeah. little as one dollar a month. Check so, it out. So go check that out. Uh, you can support us that way. If you'd like to support us in ways that aren't financial, you can go leave us a review. Tell us what movies are nostalgic for you and why, and what your memories of watching them are. We'd love to hear it. Uh, I don't want a boring review uh, of our stupid podcast tell me tell me about your rewind yeah. reviews tell us tell us what christmas movie you'd like us to review it'll be too Ooh, late we've already recorded them but you know maybe for next year <laughs> <laughs> well you know tweet us um no i think I, I think i've already picked my christmas movie for this year i think chris uh, have you you want to give a little hint no <laughs> uh, fair 
I'm, no, I, I'm t- I, what I've learned is I'm bad at hints. If I give a hint, you'll know what it is. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. I nearly gave away that we were doing the Matrix movies in the first podcast of this year. And if it, and if it wasn't for the fact Spider-Man existed and fit the same description, it would have been very clear. Too clear. Yeah, fair I'm enough. I'm bad at hints. Fair enough. No hints. No hints. Uh, um, I, yeah. Mine is, all, mine is between no, the two. You know what I am? I'm the two extremes. I'm either too obvious or I go so obscure it's just basically impenetrable. <laughs> mine, mine is that I've always got that awkward thing where I'm tempted to pick one of the two movies we watch every year. But it is November, <laughs> so we'd be watching it too early. So I don't know what to do. But yeah, we will decide. We have to record, we have to record them ahead, don't we? Although you know, for yeah. me, it's you know how people always say, "Oh, you know, it's Christmas because the Coke advert comes on." Yeah. For me, I know it's Christmas when Costa start doing the uh, the Terry's chocolate orange hot chocolate. Mm. It's not my favorite thing. A quick sidebar on... If I ever on, get type 2 diabetes, to... I'm coming for Costa. Because it's their fault. Oh, mate, you, you drink away, mate. You, you'll be fine. You drink away. Uh, well, I can't guarantee you'll be fine. But, you know, you, you enjoy it. You, I, yeah, yeah, enjoy it while like I can. Encouraging my life you. will be, you know, shortened by about 15 years, <laughs> statistically. Uh, you can't drink that many. How many Terry's Chocolate Orange Costa drinks do you drink in December? A couple a week. That's not too bad. No. Yeah, that's not that's too one or two bad. a week. I, I love them. I... And you can only get them through... Well, okay, so you only can officially get them through December, but they always order way too much of the syrup. So you can usually, even if there's no POS up in January, what I've worked out is if you go in and say, you got any of the syrup that makes the Terry's chocolate orange? They can't wait to get rid of it. They like they want to use it before it goes out of date. So they'll, you know, they'll still do it you in January if you ask nice enough. Have you asked if they'll sell you the syrup? Like the bottle of the syrup. Oh my god, no! But dude, if I did that, I would. Uh, that would be dangerous. <laughs> the, can be I just dangerous. say quick? Because I was about to say. Um, yeah. I said that really arrogantly. I was about to say. I was about to say you can. You know, we're in. We're in the golden time now, where the Christmas stuff is about to come out because Halloween is done. But can yeah. I just say, quick sidebar: Who the fuck in the UK decided to make Halloween a two-week like fucking holiday this year? There were fucking decorations up. Two weeks ago, like it was all like all oh, Halloween, and I get, I kind of understand that. I think it was half term when it was actual Halloween, so mm-hmm. the schools kind of got in early, and maybe that inspired it. But I was like, I was walking down the street, like, since when has Halloween been a fucking holiday that we need to like put up decorations for and put them up with two weeks notice? It annoyed me, Dan. Anyway, well, it annoys me too, and it's going to annoy me. In a, you know, here's the thing: I'm a hypocrite because every year I complain about both how long they take celebrating Halloween. Although this year's been particularly bad, I think that's been contributed to by the fact that no one got a Halloween in the UK last year because of COVID. Different story. Um, but I, oh, I always feel the same way about Christmas. I'm always like, I'm sorry, it's November. Christmas is two months away. Fuck off. Except I'm a complete hypocrite because this morning I sent Nadia a screenshot of the tweet that the promotional tweet Costa put out saying they were doing the Terry's chocolate orange hot chocolate with it's the most wonderful time of the year. Oh, I'll literally, I'll, I'll give, I fucking love winter and Christmas. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'm, yeah. I'm, I mean, all, it's, I'm, I'm a grumpy old man. I'm like, get off my lawn, kids. I don't, I don't want yeah. it, but I, I do want the Terry's chocolate. I think they should make that all year. I'd have it. Oh God, no, I'd die. I'd die. That's a bad well, idea. Well, you will next year when you bought, when you bought two bottles of the syrup. Well, let's see. Let's see if. Let's see if in January when it's no longer on, 
the menu if they'll be willing to sell at me for a couple because they what they honestly they, they must have to bin so much of it it's so sad it's so delicious <laughs> but they do yeah. want a date they you know those syrups are they are made a lot that you know they're mostly made of sugar but they do have a expiry date on them so they have to get rid of them eventually so yeah um yeah. the the costa that was i've moved now so my local costa is now a different one but last year in january i was their favorite customer because every time i went in they like they lit up like i think we're gonna get rid of some of that i think we're gonna get rid of some of that orange syrup offer seriously offer to buy it let's see what happens i'm curious i'll i'll, I'll update on the on a podcast at some point if i yeah. if, how that plays out but anyway thank you everyone for a listening reason. um if you if you if, if you're still listening to this god bless you because this is just yeah. nothing to do with anything now, is it, really? Um, no, not really. So the, got the Matrix, feast. huh? <laughs> Let's end, end it. End on a We're Matrix. Done. End on a Matrix thought. Okay, here we go. End on a Matrix thought. A uh, little detail I learnt, Chris. Um, it took Keanu Reeves um, 40 takes. No, 30 takes to do the triple kick. You know, because he couldn't do kicks because of his injury. You yeah. know, when he leaps up and he's on the ropes and he d- triple kicks Morpheus? Um, he did mm. He did something like 20-odd takes and was getting really frustrated with himself and was really hard on himself. He was so annoyed he couldn't get it. And then the production crew said, you know what? It's fine. Let's shut it down. Let's come back and try again in another couple of days. They came back on Monday. Third take. Nice. Go, and I, I can't help but think, did Keanu Reeves spend the entire weekend practicing triple kicks? He definitely did. He <laughs> absolutely did. Gotta love that man. Yeah. Anyway, thanks everyone for listening so much. We'll see you guys in a in a couple of days' time when we sit down to review The Matrix Reloaded. My name's Chris Billingham. Oh, yeah, I've been Dan Doolan. <laughs> and this review has been rewound. <laughs> Chris, you're a completely you know forget what? the entire format of our podcast. <laughs> I have are you still recorded? Yeah, no, I am technically. I will say, and now we're going to have to fucking do it. I was about to say to you, we did that the wrong way. I said, I'm, I'm, and you said, I've been, and usually I'd make us re-record it, but I've run out of energy. <laughs> but we're here now, so I'm Chris Billigan. I'm Dan Doolan. And this review has been rewound. As we previously established, Chris, if you say I'm and I say I've been, I'm at fault. I do enjoy winding you up about that and making you feel like you've somehow, you know, did it wrong. But it it means I'm not listening. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but I can't give you shit for that because the amount of times, the amount of times I'm clearly unlistening, like you'll say the most fascinating piece of triv in the world and I'll go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> clearly... I knew you. Clearly what do you that. what do you do? You just watch an episode old episodes of Seinfeld while I do the truth like it just <laughs> <laughs>